My mom told me this story that when she was a young mom with a bunch of little kids, I'm one of five, she had this dream. And in this dream, she was sitting around our kitchen table with all of her kids. But also sitting at that table in her dream were demons. And what surprised her in her dream was that that didn't surprise her or freak her out. So when she awoke, now she was a little freaked out. So she ended up calling a a prayer warrior over to, to pray over that situation. They were enemies at that kitchen table. That's the title of today's message. So I want to welcome you, part five of our series, Pump the Brakes. And this was a series all about us noticing that we are in a culture and a way of life that is not the way God created or intended to be. Busyness and consistent speed is wrecking stuff in our places of work, our schools, our households and neighborhoods, families, marriages, and in our own hearts. Jesus said when he came to earth that he came to give us life and life to the full. And this series is about answering the question, well, how can we have some of that life that Jesus has offered? This morning, our text is going to be Psalm 23. And this is going to be the foundation of the message and the key to understanding why taking time to pump the brakes is so important. And this is a pretty famous psalm. I'm pretty sure you've heard all of this, but we're going to deep dive into what David is speaking to the Lord here. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we see David paint this picture of our relationship with the Lord. Man, if we're his sheep, he's the good shepherd, he takes care of us. He leads us to Green pastures, which is refuge and nourishment. He leads us beside still waters because sheep can't handle rushing water because if, you know, they have all this wool, so the, you know, rushing waves would just suck them into the current. Um, he's got like a, you know, we're, we go through some dark things in life, so much so that we, we'll call it the valley of the shadow of death. You know, that's really intense, but we're okay because he's got a rod. He's got a staff. He's going to smack stuff that comes at us, right? We're, we're protected. He goes through stuff with us. And so we know the good shepherd, right? Uh, that's why we are Christians. We follow Jesus, our good shepherd. But so often, that's where we stop reading and we miss out sometimes on what David says in verse 5. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A table, a feast, a banquet is prepared for me. It's prepared for you. There's this amazing experience. Man, there's this, this table, there's this food, there's this amazing thing prepared for us by the good shepherd. The guy, you know, with the big staff who takes care of us and, you know, gives us all our things we need and protects us and all that stuff. He's got a table for us. He's got an experience for us. Okay, Lord, what's at this table? Like, are we having tacos, Lord? Like, what do you got for me, Lord? I'm, what is he talking about? What is this meal? What is this table? Jesus said this to the Samaritan woman at the well when she asked for clarification on the water that Jesus was offering her, because Jesus was offering her living water. She's like, what is that? And this is what Jesus responded to her with, John 4.13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, so Jesus is talking to her about a water that's not of physical nature, but of a spiritual one. We see Jesus continue to talk about spiritual refreshment, spiritual nourishment when his disciples come back. See, in the story, his disciples had gone in the town to buy food because they were on a journey. And they get back and they found, found Jesus dialoguing with this woman uh, at this well. And, if, you know, she was a Samaritan woman. So the disciples are just confused why he's even talking to her, not to mention what the, what's going on in this conversation. So eventually she leaves and she goes back in the town to testify, oh, Jesus, he knows me and he's the Christ. He's the one we're looking for. And she's so excited. She's sharing with them. And his disciples are like, good, she's gone. Here, Jesus, here's some food. Well, what does Jesus say to them? John uh, 4, 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, I just had a meal. Oh man, I just had this feast that you guys know nothing about. You guys, you're not seeing it. You're missing it. Oh man, because of this interaction with this woman at the well, this divine appointment that the Heavenly Father set before me, man, I just had a feast. And then he goes and tells them like, look, you, you have to like wait for physical food to grow. And man, we still got 
four months until it's ready, but I'm telling like, look, it's ready now. There's a feast. There's food now. There's plentiful. The harvest is ready. Man, they just miss it. Jesus is talking about having spiritual meals, spiritual nourishment. Have you ever experienced a spiritual meal? And spiritual meals can look different. Uh, sometimes it's just a time of worship. Man, this morning, I don't know about you, but I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That was beautiful. I mean, I mean, sometimes, though, it's when you're just on your knees crying out to God because you're going through something. Maybe a spiritual meal is when you just have an anointed time with another believer where you're just ministering to each other, and this is a beautiful gift. It's seeing God at work in powerful ways, prayers being answered, chains being broken, wounds being healed. It's peace, achieving victory over conflict. It's seeing marriages restored. It's that moment where you're filled with such joy and like giddiness, you can't contain yourself, right? It's also being woken up at 1 a.m., by the Holy Spirit saying, you got to pray for this something. you got to go pray for this person. Lord, it's like 1 a.m. That person lives like four states away. you got to pray for this person. Okay. And then finding out, you know, days later that there was a spiritual warfare taking place over that person and there was victory in Jesus that night. It's that time away when you're on a retreat. You get away from your daily life and you're just out in nature and you just find there's this peace and there's this stillness and you just let God's voice break into your life and you just hear his love being spoken and poured out over you. Man, it's, man, have you ever seen someone just get nuked by the Holy Spirit where they're just like shaken and they can't like stop it because of what's happening inside of them? They feel such contentment, such joy in God. It's seeing a young person grow in their spiritual gifts, right? It's, it's serving your neighbors, it's, you know, that just moved in and you bring them a freshly, something freshly baked to just welcome them in the neighborhood. Back in February, I got to play with our youth band. And for me, that was a spiritual meal to see these students grow into, uh, you know, their leadership and their worship. Uh, last week, I shared a story about while I was in France, so I got this word from the Lord, and man, I was like, I don't know who's this for or where I'm supposed to share it, but the Lord's like, wait, I got you. Okay, and then, you know, days later, this took place where we're in this prayer meeting, and I'm like, I'm just going to read these verses out loud because that's what the Lord told me to do, and I did. And we just had this spiritual meal. There was this feast. I also shared last week about, man, when I was in Paris, and we had, uh, late on a Friday night in this apartment with a one little piano, but with a group of believers who's just in complete surrender to God. And there was such a powerful movement of the Holy Spirit in that room that it was one of the most powerful and prof- profound things that I've seen. And it was like being on Holy Spirit crack. We were just whizzing really fast. We were just like, whoo, Jesus is alive. We wanted to celebrate, right? It was, man, there's that complete satisfaction. Just like Jesus told that woman, at the well. Have you guys experienced these things? Have you tasted a spiritual meal? And it's the Lord who goes and prepares these meals for us. Which then leads me to a pretty gut check kind of question. Why do we struggle to experience these things? Why do we struggle 
to come and find these spiritual meals. And for some of us in this room, it's been a while since you've had one. Like, man, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty for one of those meals, Lord. And for some of us, you're like, Sam, I've just knit, like, gotten a nibble of what you're talking about. Like, I want to experience that meal, but I, I don't really know how. What is preventing us from experiencing these meals that the Lord goes and prepares for us? So I want to pay attention to what David wrote in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And just because they are present, the enemy is present, does not mean they are welcome to the table. Does not mean they belong at the table. Jesus says in John 10.10 about the thief referring to Satan that the thief comes to corrupt, kill, and destroy. See, the enemy wants to come to the table because when the enemy gets to the table, he can corrupt it. He can steal that experience, try and kill that experience from us. Now you're starting to see there's a war taking shape, raging around this table experience. So then it kind of leads us to a question. Who is our enemies? I mean, there's the usual answer everyone says. Well, it's Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Man, spiritual dark forces. And we're like, often we're left a little confused. Maybe we mystify the enemies sometimes. I'm not really sure what they look like. You know, in Russia and Ukraine right now, you're either wearing Ukrainian identification, I guess that's how you say that, right? Or Russian identification, so that way in the heat of battle, you know who your enemy is. It's pretty obvious, it's that guy over there. That's the enemy, we better shoot him. Or, nope, that's my friend, I can see that, that's my buddy. But here often, when we read about, oh yeah, we have enemies and stuff like that, we almost, yeah, throw up our hands. It's something I, I don't really know or mystify. But they are enemies right now who are trying to corrupt, trying to kill, trying to steal this table for, from us. And we're going to identify some of those enemies this morning. Now, there are three main enemies I want to talk about that are trying to sit at our table. It's going to be Satan, the flesh, and the world. So we're going to demystify these one at a time. We're going to look at these enemies and how they attack us. What did Jesus say about Satan's character? What did he call him? John eight forty four. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. 
And when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Man, when Satan speaks, he lies. He's an accuser. He's a murderer with these words. And is his lies really obvious? He's just, are they kind of like ridiculous? Like, Elvis is in Mexico. He's still alive, right? No. Like, what kind of lies does Satan bring with us? Yeah, they're twisted. They're about manipulation. They're about deceit. Because Satan knows he can't come straight at God and win. Right? He knows that. So what's he do? He's got to come towards us. And look, listen to how he attacks. He told Eve what? Did God really say that? You're going to die. And he told Jesus, Are you, if you really were the son of God, this is what you do. It's just Satan attacks our character. Well, he attacks, no, he attacks God's character, who God is, and he attacks our identity. I mean, what lies has he told you? You're a burden on people. Just go suffer alone. God's not going to forgive you for that one. You'll never measure up to God's expectations. Man, you'd be a whole lot happier if you had married somebody else. Man, what lie sits at your table? A lie that has sat at my table for a long time and pops back up time and time is this lie that says, God is disappointed in you. And it wrecks me. And I got to run around and do stuff for God. I got to make God happy. And I just, we'll just keep running. I got to go try and achieve God's approval of me. Now, man, if God's angry at, you know, if I'm lazy, he's going to get disappointed. So, man, it starts warping my vision of even other people. Oh, that person over there is lazy. I don't want to look like them. Man, and I just get tired. And Lord, I want that table. And all I'm doing is looking for it in this lie when it's right there in front of me. Wrecks my relationship with God. And it wrecks my relationship with other people. Our second enemy we're identifying is the flesh. Paul wrote a lot about the flesh to help us identify what it is and what it's doing and how it attacks us. Here's what Paul said in Romans about the dynamic of the flesh versus the spirit. Romans 7, 21. So I find this law at work. Although I, I want to do good, evil is right here with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, 
raging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Man, we are born with this sin. We are born with this sinful nature. And you know, parents know you, you don't have to teach your kids to be sassy or disobedient. Man, they're trained and equipped on how to do that already. We got sin right here in us. But when we accept Jesus, right, he is our Savior, we are no longer living to satisfy this flesh, but to satisfy the spirit that's at work within us. There's this dynamic. Sometimes uh, in the New Testament, Paul calls it the old Adam, uh, your flesh, your sinful nature, sinful desires, versus almost like the spirit. And there's this, and Paul uses really intense language. There is a war raging. There is a battle within you taking place. Because your sinful nature wants to capture you, wants you to find satisfaction in what it wants. Therefore, declaring it an enemy of the table. Now, the flesh kind of takes on a couple of different forms, comes out in different ways. I think one of the ways that even we don't recognize or always see is the way our flesh is impacted from previous generations. And like social sciences are already telling us what God's word said, uh, you know, God's word already said about that, which is, I mean, just read through any of the old prophets of the warnings of the impact sin has on generations. If you look at the story of David and what happened to him, I mean, take anger, for instance. Someone grew up in an angry household, there's a good chance that person is going to be, you know, it's going to come out sideways because of how much damage that took place in their life. And it's going to come out sideways in the form of anger. And then their children are going to live in an angry household. And it's going to come out in this, you know, sideways in, the, in anger. And then it's just going to start repeating itself. And you can see this in a whole lot of different forms of brokenness. There's history, there's patterns. It can be a form of anxiety, addictions, depression, abuse, lying, hopelessness. Man, flesh also reacts to trauma you experience. So if you've been hurt by somebody pretty bad, you're going to want to in turn turn around and hurt somebody. You've been lied to. Man, I'm never going to trust anyone again. If I had an abusive parent and that flesh, that's going to hold on to all that anger, resentment, bitterness. Yeah. 
starts to shape, form things in you. Grief can hold, uh, flesh can hold grief. Especially if you lose someone special in your life. You can begin, maybe you start blaming others for circumstances. Maybe you blame God. Now that grief is starting to twist, shake things up in you. Your flesh also gets uh, shaped by how much you feed it. Man, you're in this really intense situation at work and you need to find your way out of it, so you just tell this little lie and then, whew, it's gone. And all right, whew, dodge that bullet. And then all of a sudden, two days later, it's another situation, man, this is really intense. Well, if I just tell this little lie, all of a sudden, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad either. Now you just start developing a pattern. And every single time you find yourself in a rough situation, you just, I'll just lie about it, no big deal. And then you just feed this beast that just grows and grows and grows. Because flesh wants immediate gratification. It only tells you what it wants, and it wants it now. It doesn't care about any long-term ramifications of doing wrong. It tells her, you know, it tells you, go over to her place. You both have needs. Start with that one drink. Man, you're pretty thirsty. That drink satisfies so much. Go to that website. No one's watching you. Yeah, what fleshly enemy is at your table. Man, porn had a seat at my table freshman in high school, since I was a freshman in high school. Man, it helped me deal with stress, uh, this sexual tension I had in my life, right? This uh, helped me, you know, forget about um, maybe things that were depressing me, and it told me I'm not physically hurting anyone, or I'm not causing anyone else to sin, so this may not be so bad. I can hide it. No one else has to know. And then, hey, grew out of control. And all of a sudden, you just feed it a little bit and a little bit, and then a lot, and then a lot, oh, and then a lot. Now I'm like staring at a sumo wrestler. And I gotta like beat this thing, and I got no chance. Because my flesh wanted me to find satisfaction in porn. And every, everything you need is right there. Not right there. Everything you need is there. And it robbed me of the table for years. So what seat of flesh have you given at the table? Third enemy the world. Before Jesus went to the cross, this is actually what he prayed uh, to his heavenly father about his followers. In John chapter 17, uh, 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15. This is what 
John says about the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, for love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life comes from the Father, not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay, so what's the world? Is it a physical place? Is it people? Is it institutions? Is it government? Is it, what is the world? And often we're left kind of confused, so we're, we're sent into the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. Then there's the classic John 3.16, for God so loved the world, so maybe it's not a negative thing. And we're often, often, again, we're mystified by what it is. And maybe the world is something that is broken, something that is lost, that God has compassion on. Dallas Willard put it in these simple terms. The world is our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. thing to really understand what the world is, we almost have to look at what it's offering us. And the world offers us things like lust of the flesh, which is eat when you're hungry, drink, you're thirsty, satisfy your desires, consume as much as you can. There's a reason why fast food chains are so popular and are everywhere and are open 24-7. the lust of the eyes. Man, physical objects. Go get that new truck. Go buy those shoes. Upgrade. Supersize, right? That was a pretty famous saying, right? The game of life is about collecting the most stuff before you die. So you better start collecting now because you don't know how much time you got. And the third thing the world offers us is the pride of life. Man, destiny, glory, power is yours. Go chase becoming that influencer. Go chase that title. Go get uh, that degree. You deserve it. Being uh, famous has perks. Comes with, uh, my man, just power and influence. Chase it. Chase it, chase it, chase it. Go, 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 go. And we start to see that the world doesn't just, you know, that's just part of the world. It's like, this is what the world celebrates. Billions 
of dollars are spent on marketing and asking the question, how can we get this person to think they need this product? I'm not saying that's evil. I'm just letting you know that's what the world is offering you. You need this product and not the table. I mean, I could spend actually a couple of weeks talking about the world and the warnings we find in the Bible about it. But the world reveals itself to be our enemy. Not one we go rage war against, but to remove from our table. What part of the world is sitting at your table? There's been like so many parts of the world that sit at my table, sometimes all at the same time. Shows up there in the need to binge TV shows. Obsession with cars, scheming how to get money so I can go buy a cool car. I mean, video games, social media, simply getting worked up about politics, what's happening in the world. But the one I find the most often sitting there, all the time, feels like, is busyness. There's always something to do. Always. On my phone, on a screen, out with friends. You got work stuff. You got emails you got to be flying around with. You got family. You got, uh, there's different drama going on. You have a, a house to take care of. Man. Get cracking, Sam. Get busy. You don't got time for the table. You have all this other stuff you got to chase. What have you accepted from the world that sits there? We have a lot of enemies this morning at our table. Some of them have been there for only a few days. Some of them have been there for weeks, years, decades. Corrupting, stealing, attempting to kill that table experience from you. The truth is, the enemy has no authority at the table. The enemy has zero right to be at that table. None. The only way the enemy is allowed to sit at that table is if we give it permission to sit there. Satan is a liar, he's a deceiver. You got to go, please God. He's disappointed with you. God tells me he loves me. That I don't have to earn his love. You have no seat at my table. And my flesh says, man, we want stuff. We want it now. I say, no, I don't want your stuff. I don't want to be a prisoner of you anymore. You got no right to be at my table. The world says, Sam, there's, we got so much to offer you. 
There's whole kingdoms out there that you could have. Nah. I want what the table has. And in the name of Jesus, leave. I want to be with the good shepherd. Because there's grace and mercy at the table. There's no shame of having an enemy sit there. Enemies have sat at my table for such a long time. And even preparing for this morning, man, the Lord was like, hey, Sam, and you trying to get everything right for this message and uh, being part of the worship team and all this different stuff going on. And it's like, you gotta remember, Sam, you gotta eat too. You gotta come to the table too. And I was like, oh man, I'm preaching on coming to the table. And yet, you know, perfection and busyness are sitting right there. And I had to go tell them to leave this morning. Listen to what Pastor Lou Giglio said. The Holy One invited you here. Booked the table, prepared the meal. He sat down to join you. And this reservation, it cost him everything. Man, Jesus loves you that much. It took the cross so we could have the table. Now we recognize there's this need pump the brakes, and ask the question, who is at your table? Maybe you become close friends with this person, this enemy. Maybe you feel like it's part of who you are now. This is all you've known. And the enemy is they rob you of the table experience. And they rob you of the joy and of the satisfaction, the blessing and the goodness that is offered to you. And we need to learn how to pump the brakes hard enough for the enemy to be revealed and to tell them to leave and to declare Jesus. Who do you need to tell to leave this morning? So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to have a a little taste of that meal right now. And we're going to declare Jesus right now. In all the presence of our enemies. In all the garbage and the junk that's in your places of work in schools, maybe some of the frustrations in your own family, we're gonna say, no, I need to go be with the good shepherd at the table. Because that's my invitation to you this morning. Would you pray with me? Man. Lord, you are a good shepherd. You know exactly what we need, even before we even know, Lord. And you've been with us through uh, green pastures when it's a blessing out and dark valleys, Lord. You go through those with us. 
but you have more for us. You have spiritual nourishment. You have this table. You have this meal, Lord, that you go out and prepare in advance for us, Lord. Lord, I ask that we would be able to come and experience the table, Lord. May we find that. May the enemy have no power, no authority there, Lord. Would you reveal our enemies, Lord, so we can command them to leave, so we can taste and drink the goodness you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name.